Turn again with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. We'll look this morning at uh, the first 16 verses. Genesis 4, 1 to 16. So is the uh, world getting better? Or is the world getting worse? Yes. If you look around you, if you look carefully, if you read the right things, not watch your television, you can see righteousness advancing everywhere as Christ's lordship is proclaimed as the gospel goes forth. And everywhere you look, you can see more and more widespread wickedness as sin works out its inevitable disintegration. As Jesus said in the parable, the wheat and the tares both grow side by side, becoming more and more clearly what they are until the day of harvest. All that began back here in Genesis. In chapter 3, God put enmity between the seed, the descendants of the woman, and the seed of the serpent. And from that moment, the kingdom of God has advanced in the midst of an ever-increasing wickedness. We will see it immediately here in chapter 4, but we still see it today. Kingdom of God advances, but not in the absence of wickedness. Instead, in the presence of even increasing wickedness. Well, let me read the text, verses 1 to 16. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. 
you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will, I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is a familiar story, and uh, there are per perhaps lots of things we could uh, think about from here, but I'd like to just speak of two lessons that I think this text has to teach us today. Maybe not the only two, but certainly two that we need to hear. The first is this, that God examines hearts. God examines hearts. In this country, we have just about convinced ourselves that what a person is inside doesn't really matter. It's nobody's business. All that matters is what one does. But the Bible persists in its claim that God examines hearts, that what a person does inevitably comes from what he is inside. We see that here in Genesis 4. You all know the story. Adam knew his wife. Isn't that a beautiful word for sexual intimacy in marriage? Adam knew his wife. And she conceived and bore a son. Before long, two sons, Cain and Abel. They grew up to be uh, farmers. One was a crop farmer, Cain was. Abel was the shepherd. We're not told, but undoubtedly, Adam and Eve taught them to worship their creator. Told them of the events in the garden. They must have been taught something about the Lord and all of his perfections. We might assume that there was some place of worship, some place where God's presence among them was acknowledged. What we know for sure is that they learned to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Well, that's where we find them in this account. They are offering sacrifices. Cain brought some of the fruit of, his so of the soil, some vegetables or fruit that he had grown, some flowers, I don't know, something he grew. Abel brought some of his flock, a lamb perhaps. But God accepted Abel's sacrifice and rejected Cain. We're not told how they knew that, but they clearly knew that. God accepted Abel, rejected Cain. Why? The first thing I want us to learn from this text this morning is just this. Why? Why God accepted one but not the other? Some, some say there was really no difference. It was just arbitrary. Uh, uh, and indeed the same word is used for both sacrifices. They're both uh, gifts or tribute paid. And they both brought gifts appropriate for their uh, social standing and their vocation. They brought some of their life, what they did, what they grew, what they produced, it seemed to be appropriate. 
Others say that Cain's offering was unacceptable because it was not a blood sacrifice. Now that's really a, an attractive uh, position to take for throughout the whole scripture, the Lord requires the shedding of blood for the remission of sin. So it's attractive to say, well, Cain's offering was not acceptable because it wasn't a bloody sacrifice. It was not a substitutionary kind of atonement. Unfortunately, as attractive that is, the word that's used for this sacrifice, which they offered, is the word that is many, many different words for sacrifices, but this is the word that normally would be translated a grain offering. They brought a grain offering. Dr. Bruce Waltke, one of the foremost Old Testament men in our day, uh, I read a paper recently that he wrote on this, and he says, our lexical study for the term designating Cain's offering gives no basis for thinking it was rejected because it was bloodless. In fact, of the many terms for presentations to God which were available to Moses when he wrote this, he could not have used a more misleading term if this were his intended meeting, that it was bloodless and therefore it was rejected. It's about that. What is it? Why did God accept one and not the other? Well, I'm always one to kind of go to the end of the book and see how it turns out, so let's just take a shortcut and go to the New Testament, which tells us, and then we'll work back from there. In Hebrews chapter 11, that great chapter on the heroes of faith, we read an assessment of this event. Here's what we read there, about verse 4, I think. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. Well, there's no question about the answer. Abel offered his gift in faith. Cain did not. And God examines heart. Similarly, when we look in the New Testament, we find some discussion not just about Abel's faith, but we find some discussion about Cain. Jude talks about Cain. In Jude, we read these words. These, talking of false teachers and false prophets, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. They speak abusively against whatever they do not understand, and what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. These men are blemishes on your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Oh, here's surely the opposite of faith. Here are people who go through the motions, who attend the worship, who participate in the fellowship, who eat the Lord's Supper, who come to the love feast, who speak of spiritual things, know the language, but they reject God's authority. They speak abusively of anything they don't understand, and they blemish the worship by their hypocrisy. 
And God's summary of such behavior? He says, that's the way of Cain. The way of Cain. No wonder Cain was rejected. Because God examines hearts. Now the New Testament gives us the quick answer to the distinction which God makes between Cain and Abel, but if we look closely here in Genesis 4, we probably will see some evidence to back that up right here. Look at the descriptions of their respective sacrifices in verse 3 and 4. It says that Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil. Simple little statement. But Abel, here's a much more complex statement. Abel brought fat portions, that is, those which in that culture were the most prized portions. He brought fat portions of some of the firstborn of his flock, suggesting a gift fitting for the one who had first place even over his own needs and his own concern, one who was to be honored as first. You see, even in these little brief descriptions of the, of the sacrifices brought, there's evidence that the care and importance which these brothers attached to their gifts reflected a distinction between Abel's heart of faith and Cain's heart of something else. And certainly when we look not just at what's said about the offerings, but what's said about the men, especially Cain, when we look at the attitude which Cain projects with his words, as we'll see more in a few minutes, we see evidence that here's no heart of faith. Cain is angry, he's hateful, he's sarcastic, he's always trying to justify himself. Those things are the opposite of faith. Those things are the opposite of submission to God. Those things are full of self. No wonder God rejected his offering. God examines hearts. As Bruce Waltke summarizes, Abel's sacrifice represents acceptable, heartfelt worship. Cain's represents unacceptable tokenism. Tokenism. Folks, I make this point because in all likelihood, we have both of these things going on right here this morning. It would be true of most all churches. Certainly there are many who with hearts full of faith, with heartfelt devotion, come together eager to worship the God who is worthy of their time, worthy of the best hours of the day, worthy of their affection, worthy of their mind, worthy of everything come and lay before them gifts of faith. But there are always others who worship for different reasons. Because someone expects me to be here and I don't want to have to deal with them if I'm not. Because it projects the right image that I want to maintain in the community that is so church-oriented. Because maybe if I give God a little time, he'll bless me somewhere else. 
But as on the day when Cain and Abel offered their worship, God still examines hearts. And Hebrews eleven six reminds us without faith it is impossible to please God. Well, this morning I challenge you to examine yourself as God is examining you. Do you bow before him in humble trust? Do you come unconditionally to sit at his feet, ready to hear, to receive whatever he says to you? Do you come trusting only in his grace to make it acceptable for you to even be in his presence? Or do you come making some deal with God? Come thinking that you're earning his favor, racking up some points before him. Do you come pressing your own needs and your own cause and your own agenda and expecting to get something for yourself? If so, you need to repent. That's the kind of worship that God rejected when Cain offered it. For God examines heart. There's another reason that we need to examine ourselves and think about our need to repent, and that's the second truth that we learn from this passage. That's this. Sin plays for keeps. Sin plays for keeps. I don't remember the first time I heard that expression, play for keeps. Just one of those phrases I grew up with. Maybe it's not a meaningful expression to you it certainly is to me it's just part of my english language i guess i don't remember the first time i heard it i do remember the day i learned what it meant though when i was a little kid we moved to a new town now this is back in the days before nintendo and things like that here you kind of made up your own games and played things and in those days way back in the dark ages um marbles were a big thing that guys played kids boys played I don't think girls were allowed to play marbles. I'm not sure. Everybody had their own favorite little marbles, different colors, shapes, you know, whatever. Not shapes all around, but little t- different colors. <laughs> and uh, and you, you showed up, and you drew a big circle in the, in the, in the dirt, and uh, everybody put some marbles in. And then you had your shooter. You know, that was the big fat one. And everybody took their turn shooting marbles, bouncing some of those little ones out of the circle. And whatever ones they went outside the circle you you picked up and put in your little pile and when they were all gone uh, that round was over and you counted up the marbles and whoever had uh, shot the most marbles out of the circle uh, went went won and uh, so you uh, maybe did it again and whatever and at the end of the time everybody divvied back up their marbles and i got all my yellow ones and you got all your red ones and all whatever kind you liked and that you brought and everybody went home to play another day not in this new town i went to there, they played for keeps. What, whatever marbles you lost in the game, he, he took home with him. <laughs> you never saw him again. This was no game. This was for real. And for this little kid, the stakes are way too high. I, I'm not going to go out there and lose all my marbles. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> now, I use this illustration about playing for keeps because today the game is not marbles. Today, the game is sin. Having sex. Looking at a little soft pornography. A little greed. 
Maybe a little shoplifting. Some good old-fashioned materialism. Just go to the mall and lust after all the stuff and buy stuff that you don't need, can't afford it. Cheating. Dishonesty. Disobedience. But we all just seem to assume it's just a game. And when we're all through playing the game, we'll pick up all of our indiscretions and stuff them back in the bag and We'll go back to work, and we'll go back to school, and we'll go back home, and we'll resume our lives and our fine reputations, and life will go on as normal, and those will always be only fond memories of good times we had. But this morning, our text says, in the most sobering way, sin plays for keeps. Sin plays for keeps. We see this in a lot of different ways here, but let me tell you three ways. First of all, we see it in verses 1 and 2, backing up in the story to Adam and Eve and the birth of their sons. Adam and Eve, as we heard before, sinned in the garden. And that had brought some terrible consequences on them. It had shattered the whole world, shattered the garden. But God had shown mercy and they would not die immediately. Indeed, he promised them uh, some life that would go on and some seed and some... Uh, he withheld his judgment. Adam named his wife Eve, the mother of the living, in faith and great hope. He named her. And Eve became pregnant and bore a son and then another son. But never did a mother have such high hopes for her baby as when Cain was born. God had promised them, remember? Back in chapter 3, verse 15, God had promised them that the seed of the woman, they probably didn't know what that was at the time, that the seed of the woman would come and would crush the deceiver, would crush Satan's head. Now here's the seed of the woman. The promised son. Now Dr. James Boyce, who's quite the scholar that I'm not, goes through a rather detailed grammatical study of use of the Hebrew preposition F, which is used in what Eve says here. But he goes through all that to show that what Eve literally said, if we want to say it in the most literal kind of rendering to get the gist of it, that what Eve literally said when Cain was born would be something to this effect. I have brought forth a man, even the deliverer, technically the Lord, Jehovah, but she wouldn't have known what that meant yet. The del deliverer. Oh, what hope. Oh, what joy, what expectation. All that was lost in the fall is about to be restored. No, she was wrong. Here we are, hundreds of generations later, it's still not restored. For Eve had given birth to a killer, not a Christ. You see, sin plays for keeps. 
It wasn't just, oh, this will all go away, the sin of the garden. It'll all go away and it'll all be better. When this little boy grows up and delivers us, oh no, not so easy. Moms and dads, do not think that what you do and do not do will not bear fruit in your children. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. What you reap, you will sow to the third and the fourth generations because sin plays for keeps. We see it also in verse 6 and 7 after Cain's offering was rejected. Cain was distressed when his offering was rejected. His worship was not acceptable. You could see it all over his face. He was going around. He was angry. His face was downcast, we read. And so the Lord addresses Cain. He doesn't just reject him. He addresses him. He counsels him. He told him what to do, and he told him how important it was. Look at verse 6 and 7. Let me read it again. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. But you must master it. Cain knew what was right. God knew Cain knew what was right. God says it's time that you start doing it. Not getting angry because somebody else did it and you got caught not doing it. God also warned Cain about the nature of sin. God said, sin is like a wild beast that is stalking you, Cain. You maybe don't see it, but I see it there crouching by the door, about to attack you. You better keep that thing chained up. Sin plays for keeps, God says. It's brutal. You're angry and you're full of bitterness and resentment. Cain, sin is brutal. Watch what you're doing. So how does Cain handle this counsel that God gives him? He's mad. He is mad. He's mad at God didn't accept my offering. I brought better than Abel brought. But the problem is it's hard to get a hold of God, you know. So when you're mad at God, what do you do? Attack God's people. That's exactly what Cain did. He said to his brother, let's go out in the field. And there he went, and there he killed him. Before he knew it, Cain had murdered his brother murdered him, murdered him because his worship was more acceptable than my worship. How did he ever get to this point? Just last week he was sitting in church offering worship. It was hypocritical, but he was going through the motion. And now he's a cold-blooded murderer. You see, God knew what he was talking about. Sin was crouching at the door looking for an opportunity, and Cain gave it the opportunity. And folks, sin 
place for keeps. Don't you think for an instant that you can flirt with sin? That you can flirt with hypocrisy? That you can flirt with self-righteousness? That you can flirt with bitterness and harbor resentment in your heart? Especially toward God. And it will never affect anything. You misunderstand how desperately wicked your heart is. You misunderstand what sin is like if you do that. Sin is a ravenous beast crouching at your door, looking for a moment off the leash. And sin plays for keeps. Finally, we see the same thing in the rapid deterioration of Cain and his situation after this sin. God is still gracious. It is amazing to see God's patience in how he deals with Cain. So much like last week, where God does not just cast him out and stomp him and take away his life. He doesn't do that. He comes and he confronts him. And he talks to him. And he comes and he says, where is your brother Abel? Now, if this isn't a fatherly call to repentance, I've never heard one. Where is your brother Abel? But Cain is defiant. I don't know. Furthermore, am I my brother's keeper? I don't care. In other words, with sarcasm and arrogance, he is now willing to take on God himself. Don't you question me about my brother. Just a few days ago, he was offering sacrifices. What happened? Sin plays for keeps. And so God pronounces judgment on Cain, verses 10 to 12. He's going to live under a curse. The ground which he tilled and brought forth this beautiful fruit from will no longer yield crops for him. He will be a fugitive. He will be an unsettled wanderer. Calvin says, as robbers are wont to be who have no quiet and secure resting place, for the face of every man strikes terror to them, and on the other hand, they have the horror of solitude. No corner of the earth should be left him by God in which he might quietly repose. Oh, how Cain had fallen from the expectation of his mother that he was the deliverer God promised. And now he's not even rightly called the seed of the woman anymore. He is now part of the seed of Satan, the serpent. The one who is at enmity with the righteous. The one who persecutes the righteous. The one who kills the righteous. The seed of the serpent. How did it all happen? 
send place for each. But in mercy, God spared his life. Surely he must be grateful for that. In fact, at the very end, God somehow marks him so that no one would kill him and sets up kind of an order in society that would protect even the one who's guilty. Surely, now, the goodness and grace of God, the forbearance of God, will be a time of repentance for Cain. Well, look at verse 13 and 14. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're driving me out of the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. Here he is still accusing God of being unfair, of being unjust, of giving him worse than he deserved, even though God had just given him better than he ever deserved. Not different from the thief on the cross. You remember him? As the two are mocking and suddenly the one says to the other, don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. We are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said Jesus, to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Well, there's the man already under the sentence of death, already about to the end of the sentence, who realizes that it's time to repent. But not Cain. The very last words we ever hear out of Cain's mouth are words of complaint and accusation against God. It's as if Cain is now verbalizing Satan's thoughts, slanderous thoughts, hostile to God, arrogant. Oh, how he has fallen. But we should not be surprised, for sin plays for keeps. Dr. Boyce summarizes the story of Cain for us. He says, how horrible sin is. Cain refused to come to God by the way of sacrifice which God had graciously provided. Rejected, he plunged into an ever-increasing vortex of hatred and murder. At last, being judged by God in a manner far less rigorous than he deserved or had himself inflicted on Abel, he complained because the earth was not going to be as kind to him as it was previously and because he would be a wanderer on earth. Now, I know we all say, well, that'll never happen to me. I wouldn't let that happen to me. And so, having convinced ourselves it could never happen to me, we flirt with sin. We dabble in it. We taste it. Roll it around on our tongue and savor it. Fully intending we'll spit it out in a minute. And we sit here and go through the motion. Assuming there are no consequences to hardening our hearts. No consequences to a little hypocrisy. Tokenism. And when someone tries to correct us, we take offense. Who does he think he is talking to me like that? We get our back up. You see... Most all of the sins that we read of about Cain are the very same things we take for granted. 
hypocrisy, a little arrogance, a little resentment, self-pity, complaining. Only murder is left. Folks, we need to hear the Lord's exhortation to Cain. Sin is crouching at your door. Sin is crouching at your door. Sin is a beast waiting to attack you. And sin plays for Why did God give us this record? Why did he give it to ancient Israel? Because in this world in which his kingdom is being advanced, we're going to always see this. This is a world filled with Cain's and Abel's. With the wicked and the righteous. Often side by side in the same family, sitting together in church. But there is a radical difference. Some live by faith and trusting the Lord and allegiance to the Lord. Walk humbly, wherever, whatever, whenever, he said. For we have nothing but him and my trust. Others are like Cain. Hypocrites who will do anything necessary to serve themselves. And sometimes that means maintaining the facade of piety. But the truth will eventually become clear. And judgment will be sure for God sees heart. And so we must examine our own hearts too and guard against the sin that crouches at the door. We need to learn from Cain's experience. This is not a picnic. This is a war. When you grow up in a Christian uh, community where there's a lot of church influence or you go to a Christian school where there are many benefits, one of the downsides of that is you easily begin to get the notion that the Christian life, that Christian discipleship, is a big picnic we're on. And everybody's having fun, and isn't it nice? No, it's a war that we're in. And sin takes no prisoner. It's brutal. And it plays for keeps. So is there no hope? For all of us have at least sounded like Cain sometimes. Haven't we? Well, part of Cain's condemnation was that God said, listen to him, listen, listen. Do you hear that sound? 
That's the blood of your brother crying out from the ground to me. What a comfort for the righteous in times of trouble. That though nobody knows, though nobody cares, though your lifeblood is spilled and soaked up in the dirt, God hears and knows. Oh, but in Hebrews 12 we read, But you have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than that blood of Abel. What's this about? Well, you see, the blood of Abel called out to God for judgment. It called out for vengeance. Don't let the righteous suffer in vain. And indeed, they will not. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. 